when you talk about CEOs having a bigger responsibility, we have a bigger responsibility to care. We have a bigger responsibility to take care of the people who've entrusted us to use our service, to work at our companies. And it's not okay to just make a bunch of money and pay everybody well anymore. everyone, welcome back. I'm your host, Anu Dugal, and this is The 2%, a podcast highlighting women who are breaking barriers and building the businesses of the future. In today's episode, I chat with Stacey Brown Pilpot, a founding member of SoftBank's Opportunity Fund, a VC fund that supports Black, Latinx, and Indigenous founders, and the former CEO of TaskRabbit, where she helped pioneer and create a framework for the sharing economy. In today's episode, Stacey shares her advice for navigating critical career transition points her thoughts on the future of work, and diving into her commitment to changing the face of wealth creation. I'm excited to share this episode with you all, so let's get started. Hi, Stacey. Great to have you on here. Where are we finding you today, and how's your day going? I am at home in Palo Alto, and it's the last day of school for my kids, so it's a great day. It's been a long year, (laughs) to say the least. So I know that our listeners are are super excited to hear from you, and I thought it would be great to start with just a little bit about your journey. Maybe we can start with your upbringing in Detroit, your background at Google, and then ultimately kind of what led you to to TaskRabbit. Yeah, I was born in Detroit, Michigan. It's, It's where I'm from. It's been, you know, many years since I've lived there, but I still call it home. My dad still lives there, and so hoping to see him now that we're all fully vaccinated very, very soon. I grew up in an environment where people looked out for each other. It wasn't the best neighborhood, but it was a good neighborhood where people really took care of the community. And it was about the community. And it really helped ground me in just the importance of doing something that mattered. My mom was a single mom and she raised me and my brother with my grandmother. So I grew up in a house of four women at one point, four generations of women. And so Taught, learned a lot about independence um, and a lot about really learning how to take care of each other. And so that took me to college at Penn, where I went from an all black, 98% black school, high school, to like a college that was 6% black. <laughs> so it was very different. Uh, but I never lost grounding for my roots. And, and I was lucky enough to meet my husband of now 21 years at Penn. So in addition to getting a degree from Wharton, I also found the love of my life, Um, but that really changed the trajectory of my career and my life. I began my career in finance and accounting and ended up coming to business school at Stanford. And of course, the mission of Google was they wanted to organize the world's information and make it universally useful and accessible. And these were people who were coming together, some of the smartest people I'd ever met and encountered. And we were going to just make the world better. And as a mission-minded person, that's what drew me to the company and and allowed me to stay there for nine years. It's also what drew me to TaskRabbit, the mission of TaskRabbit and, you know, making everyday life easier for everyday people was so attractive because it was bringing it back to my roots of creating opportunities. Amazing. 
you know, you mentioned Google and, and I know, um, you were one of the first thousand employees, um, even mentored by Sheryl Sandberg. What were some of the important lessons that you learned through those early days at Google that are relevant, you know, in your career now? Well, I learned so much at at Google. It was just, it was a crazy time. We went from a thousand to 10,000 in like three years or something insane like that. Uh, One of the biggest lessons that I learned from Cheryl was just relationships matter. A lot of what we do in our career is, is important. The output is important, but the relationships that we build along the way are also very important. I'm sure that that time at Google was incredible. Um, as you think back in terms of what led you to make the leap in joining TaskRabbit, what was your inspiration or your thought process around that? Realizing I had this corner office and I was sitting there and I, and I just was like, okay, I've been here for nine years and now's the time for me to look out and do something different. But I had to say goodbye to everything that Google had given me from a career perspective. I'd grown up there as an executive and made a lot of great friends and had mentors that I continue to spend time with today. And then it was the opportunity to think about, well, what's next? Where else can I make a difference? Where else can I add value? Where else can I have an impact? And I, my daughter, Emma, was five weeks old when I first encountered TaskRabbit because I tried the service and I loved it. And I was sort of this new mom and I didn't know that we could go to Target and get stuff and also like take care of the baby. I have to commute to San Francisco to really falling in love with the mission and feeling like we can make a difference around the world by impacting people's lives and creating jobs. And so I was going to run to something that was, that was, just as mission oriented as Google and TaskRabbit was that company for me. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. Um, you know, just kind of in terms of TaskRabbit and, and, you know, effectively the way that they were ahead of the game, you know, many, many say that they really paved the way, um, you know, for Uber and Lyft and, um, developed a framework around the, the shared or the gig economy quite a while ago. So I can imagine that, setting standards in a new industry must have been challenging. Would love to hear, you know, what that was like. It's hard to imagine today that the sharing economy was not a thing (laughs) ever, because obviously last year showed us like how much we need each other uh, to survive. And when I joined it in early 2013, the gig economy or sharing economy was really at its early stages. And TaskRabbit was a pioneer in terms of setting the standards. One of the most important things we focused on was quality. It is really brought to life a lot more than just job creation. And when all of us were going through what we went through last year, the necessity of work and meaning became so important. I remember we had a board meeting in March of last year. It's really hard to imagine (laughs) anything like that. But there was a conversation of, do we keep the marketplace open? You know, I know you've, you've definitely said in the past that the gig economy is the future of work. 
And as you just said, you know, we found that to be true last year. How do you think about how the pandemic has impacted your thinking around the shared economy? We've gotten so much outreach from taskers who wanted to work. They please don't shut down the marketplace. I just got furloughed from my other job. This is my only means of existence. And so when we made the decision, we provided the taskers with the PPE, so with their masks and sanitary sanitizers and gloves and everything that they need to protect themselves. And we just said, let's do it. Let's track it. Let's monitor. Let's focus on quality. But this is now we're we're at the bottom here of what's going on. And we've got to be around to make sure that people can still subsist. And so if if that taught us nothing about the value of the sharing economy, I don't know what else really can. Yeah, that makes sense. As you think back, you know, you've obviously left um, TaskRabbit. How did you know, you know, that that it was kind of the right time for you? I know that for many women who are listening, they're often thinking about, you know, what is that next step? And when is the right point at which to take, you know, the next leap? Any advice or lessons that you have related to that? I said, Stacy, it's time. You've done an amazing job at Google and it's time. And it was time. I said, I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to do next. But but my gut's like, you got to get out there. And similarly at TaskRabbit, we sold the company to Ikea on a vision of launching this, this company in multiple countries around the world. And you now have 76,000 taskers who are able to earn an income. And my gut's like, all right, it's time. And so sometimes we have to listen to our gut. If it's scary, maybe the scary thing to do is the thing. Yeah, it's the path to take. No, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. One of the things that that I've been so excited to talk to you about is SoftBank's Opportunity Fund. And you know, as a founding member, would love to just hear about why you joined and what that experience has been like. I am so excited to be a part of the Opportunity Fund. It was one of the most impulsive things that I've done. But again, it was my gut that was, this is exactly what we need to do. Right after George Floyd was murdered last year, two friends of mine came together. We're in this program called Henry Crown. And so we'd spent a number of years developing as leaders and Marcelo, who's at SoftBank, and Paul Judge, who is an investor, the three of us were on a WhatsApp, and I said, we should do something. What else? And we see a lot of companies making statements. This was in June around what we should do in response to this moment. And Marcelo said, why don't we start a venture fund? And somebody said, I don't remember which one, well, how? what's the biggest venture fund out there that focuses, focusing on Black people? And I think it was $50 million at the time. Um, so we said, let's do a hundred because we should do twice that at least so that we can make a statement that this is important. And so within 24 hours, I was up at 6 a.m. Pacific on CNBC talking about the SoftBank Opportunity Fund. And it's been, you know, our focus is on investing in Black, Latinx, and Native American founders. Our goal is to really change the face of wealth creation in our society. And the response to George Floyd goes way beyond 
the things that we have to do in terms of police reform, but it goes into making sure that there's representation of black and brown people in every aspect of life and that it's not rare and that it's common. And because we are tech people and investors, we looked at our own navels and said, hey, we, we don't have it together. We've got to get it together ourselves. And so we've done over 40 deals at this point. We've seen 1,400 companies. I am so proud of what, what we've been able to accomplish in the last year. Yeah, no, I think that's so incredible. And, and I can speak from experience in the fact that, you know, even with Female Founders Fund, you know, we've now been investing for eight years. And, you know, you start out investing at the seed in in women who, you know, less than 2% of venture capital goes towards women. And you see that once these women, you know, start getting to a series B, series C, series D, and are taking money off the table, the way in which they invest, the way in which they give back, and, you know, support other women, it's really just creating an ecosystem that doesn't exist. You know, I'm sure part of that vision is, you know, you invest in companies, but then, you know, the wealth creation and how the wealth is used is is so inspiring. Absolutely. It's not just that we will create multi-billion dollar companies who are led by people of color or that they will employ thousands and tens of thousands of people but that they will impact the communities that they're in and that they reach out, like you said, and start to invest what they've earned in those communities. And that's how wealth creation gets changed. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So now that you are in the other side of, um, of the equation in terms of, you know, operator to investor, what are some of the areas that you're excited about? Well, I'm really excited about, just we invest across all sectors. Just I should let you all know that I see a lot of things. <laughs> we invest across all sectors and all stages from C. Um, we invested in companies from C through Series C. And there's so much going on in tech that it's hard to decide like which one do we do we focus on? We have a recent investment in a company called Praxis Labs. They are specifically working in the HR tech space, helping companies uncover and address unconscious bias through VR. So it's a VR HR tech company. We are we recently invested in a crypto company. And that's really interesting now because as that space has become much more established or as established as it was, it's probably like the sharing economy was back in 2008, right? And it's starting to form. We're starting to get great ideas from great founders there. And then we continue to care a lot about healthcare and health tech. There's a company called Vitable that we've invested that we've invested in that is focused on providing great healthcare options to people who can't afford to pay for healthcare. So there's a lot going on, and those are some of the ones that I'm excited about. Fantastic. And in terms of your strategy, you mentioned you invest from seed to series C? Through series C, yes. Okay, great, great, great. Um, good to know for, for any potential founders out there looking to raise capital. Yes, we don't invest in pre-seed. This is what I have to tell people. <laughs> and we will invest in later stage rounds of funding, but our that's kind of our sweet spot. We really want to make sure that we can help companies accelerate their growth yeah. with the soft ecosystem. We've got yeah. a team of 15 people 
um, a third of that team is focused on what we call value creation. After the investment, there's a relationship that gets formed and we want you to choose the opportunity fund because you want more than just our money. You want access to potential mentors, potential advisors, potential customers. You want coaching sessions. You want help with back office admin things like which tools to buy and how to access them. All of our you know, founders get discounts at WeWork because you know, SoftBank is an investor in WeWork. So we should provide them with those opportunities for office space. So those are the types of things that we really want to make sure that our founders are getting access to because we know that most of them, if not all of them, are disadvantaged. We have this value creation team that provides a lot of different resources from commercial opportunities to mentors and advisors. And a lot of it's because we know that a lot of these founders are disadvantaged. We know that they're coming in without the networks that other people from majority represented groups have. And so we want to overweight into making sure that they have access to the same and better opportunities that other groups have access to. That's fantastic. And I'm sure makes, you know, the check is great, but being able to go beyond that and, you know, connect them into that network, I think is, is incredibly powerful. So, you know, the 2% is really focused on highlighting stories of people who are working to improve the stats around investment in diverse founders. As you think about your work with the Opportunity Fund and the fact that I think over the past year or so, we've seen a ton of attention and commitments going towards improving these stats. What is your point of view around what it will take to get to parity in this field? It's going to take longevity. And what I mean by that is it's not a flash in the pan. It's not one year of decision making. It's not, oh, we, we put $100 million off the balance sheet and now we're, we've invested it. We're good. Like, let's just see how that plays out. Um, that's just insufficient for what is required. It's going to take longevity. It's going to take the CEOs and founders who've stepped up and said they want to do something. The commitment has to span years to make the difference that we want to make. It's also going to take everybody's commitment. I love seeing all the different people who are raising venture funds now and all the commitments coming across all asset classes to do this. Everybody has to do it. Everybody. Nobody is accepted from the rule here on making the difference that we want to make. And then we've just got to hold ourselves accountable. We talk a lot about measuring and accomplishing what we measure, but we actually have to just measure what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And it's great advice for, for anyone listening. So I think, you know, in the past, you've spoken about the definition of what it means to be a technology leader and your belief that, you know, what's expected of a leader today goes way beyond profitability and kind of commercial success. How did you navigate that responsibility at TaskRabbit? And, you know, what are some of the values that that drive you as a leader? TaskRabbit was very good at just making sure we took care of the community. The first value at the company when I was running it was care deeply. And we had our values in order, but it also spanned externally, which is we've got to care about the community that we operate in, the taskers and the clients who use the service. And so when you talk about CEOs having a bigger responsibility, 
we have a bigger responsibility to care. We have a bigger responsibility to take care of the people who've entrusted us to use our service, to work at our companies. And it's not okay to just make a bunch of money and pay everybody well anymore. Obviously, what happened last year and all the events around social justice affected me deeply. And I used it as an opportunity to really talk inside the company about what it was like to be Black in America and to create the space in the company for people to have those courageous conversations. Me and the rest of the management team talking about it and making sure that it was a priority. So it feels like a fifth job, right? As a CEO, you already have like four jobs. It's like a fifth job. But you know, you could argue that it's the most important job that we have. If we're not sitting around looking out for what happens in our society, who else is going to do it? Yeah, no, definitely. In terms of your leadership style, this kind of builds off the last question. How would you describe it and, and how have you seen it evolve over time? I am a very, I, I love leading people who have lots of ideas. <laughs> so I'm surrounding myself with people who have lots of ideas. You know, the boundaries need to be broken or the obstacles need to be cleared. And that's how I like to, to lead. Uh, I also consider myself a servant leader. I really believe in hiring the best people, making sure they feel challenged, providing them this, the, what they need to be successful, and then getting in there with them when the time is right. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by Dr. Martin Luther King, which is that the ultimate measure of a man, I'm going to edit, or woman, or them, <laughs> is not how they stand in times of comfort and convenience, but how they stand in times of challenge and controversy. And so anybody who has worked with me knows that I'm the kind of person who will be there when the times are fun and also when the times are hard. That's one thing that's been consistent in how I've operated as a leader, even as I've developed some of these more adaptive uh, leadership skills in the latter part of my career. Yeah. So I think, you know, in, in many of the impressive positions that you've achieved, you've been the first, um, the first person of color, the first woman, the first black woman um, to achieve these positions, to get into these roles. What have those experiences been like? And, and have you seen any cultural shifts, you know, since the start of your career? I've seen so much happen, especially in the last 12 months. So that's good. Um, it's been being the first is a lonely thing. And I don't think any one of us, you've been the first, you know this, where you're there and you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do in this moment? I remember joining the board of HP and I, I think I'm the youngest person to ever serve on that board. I don't know, I have to go back and look at the data, but I think I am. Um, when I joined and I was the first. And so I had a baby at the time <laughs> and nobody else had babies. Um, and I remember interviewing and my baby was crying and at the beginning of the interview and I had to cancel it because I said, hey, my baby's crying. I don't know what to do. And the woman who interviewed me, she's like, that's fine. I, you just, I'll just call you tomorrow morning. What time does the baby wake up? And so we agreed. 
And I said, that's a first, right? First time for a board seat and you've got a baby. And so you, I go in with, this is, this is who I am. I've got little kids, they cry, and you're going to get that perspective from me on this board. <laughs> totally, totally. So we're now going to go into our lightning round and I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. Feel free to answer with whatever comes to mind. What would you want your legacy to be? That I impacted people all over the world. What mindsets have helped make you successful? Independence, collaboration, and growth. If you could talk to one person from history, who would it be? Gandhi. Anything you want to plug or announce here for our listeners? Consider the Opportunity Fund if you're a Black, Latinx, or Native American founder and just have a great business that you want to build. And where can our listeners find you online? SBP04 on Twitter. Perfect. Amazing. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The 2% for today's episode featuring Stacey Brown-Pilpot. Stacey's dedication to changing the face of wealth creation is incredibly inspiring, and there are so many leadership lessons to be learned from her lifelong investment in the power of community. I hope you found this conversation as interesting, inspiring, and meaningful as I did. Stay in touch with us on Instagram at Female Founders Fund and on Twitter at FQVC. And for those of you building the next billion dollar businesses, we'd love to hear from you. Send all pitch decks to pitches at femalefoundersfund.com and we'll be in touch. And finally, if you're interested in working at one of our 45 plus female founded startups, explore our job opportunities at jobs.femalefoundersfund.com. Make sure to subscribe to the 2% on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listing. And stay tuned for our next episode with powerful women founding and funding the future. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. Until next time, I'm Anu Dougal, and this has been The 2%. Thank you.